The location, undisclosed. Access. Ready. Team Buck Headquarters. The safe haven where a radio signal transmits from the middle of nowhere to the squad of patriots. This is the Freedom Hunt with Buck Sexton. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Freedom Hut. I am here in our not-so-expansive Freedom Hut quarters, uh, but hey... Hopefully the audio quality is going to be, be solid this week. I, I'm glad you all enjoyed last week with Sean Parnell and Jesse Kelly. I, I, so I, liked, I like to see that you were all weighing in on who came out on top of that one, the Marine or the Ranger. I have no dog in that fight. I just want to make sure they were fighting each other. That was really entertaining stuff. They're great guys, and we've already agreed to have them back uh, in the month of August. So get ready for that. We're going to call it a spook, a Ranger, and a Jarhead walk into a bar. That's that's the uh, the working title. But today i got another fantastic guest for your listening enjoyment. We have our friend Raheem Kassam here with me, formerly of uh, Breitbart, also formerly a, an advisor to Nigel Farage, and now just a writer, author, author of the book No Go Zones, which is very fantastic. I highly recommend, recommend to all of you. And he's here, actually hanging out in the hut. Raheem, good to see you. You know, I've got a lot of formalities in my in my well, me too. repertoire now. So, I worry about that. Well, see, this is when you have options, you take the options you have. You know what I mean? You move around. That's what I always tell people. Hard I, to convince young ladies that that's the case. So uh, that's true. But the the you know the the old this story like failed when I worked in the government. And people only people who work in the federal bureaucracy, I feel like, get away with saying this, or maybe they only they're the only ones who know this. But it was the uh, the sixty forty rule, and it was that six the, the the, the basically the top 20% and the bottom 20% leave, either wash out or go on to other things, and it's the middle 60 that stay. So I think it's a good thing to bounce around and have some other things going on in your life. By the way, what, what, are we the bottom or are we the top? Well, we'll leave that to folks. That, that depends <laughs> on how well the podcast goes today. But tell me, what, what is what is Raheem Kassam up to these days? Now, you're no longer officially in, in the world of Breitbart.com, right? Correct. That's, yeah. That's correct. I, I left there about three months ago. I always, I always get uh, antsy every sort of three or four years when I've been somewhere that amount of time I feel like I need to move on and do other things um, and there was a whole world calling out to me um, and it has been for a, a, over a year now of people saying what we need is this in Europe and this in the United States and we need you to travel to Dallas and give a speech and write this book and I just couldn't do all of it um, and I looked at my life and I thought what is what, what do I enjoy least and what I enjoyed least was was sitting at a desk editing copy you know, and and so I gave that up. Uh, I've left a great team at Breitbart London, so so they're managing things, and 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 it's all it's probably going better without me, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm now uh, doing several things. One of them is uh, our new project that I'm working on with Steve Bannon called the Movement. Uh, this is a uh, a pan-European uh, clearinghouse to bring the right across Europe together. They're very fractured. They don't work together. They all hate one another. They sit next to each other in the European Parliament and throw things at one another. So it's, it's effectively a clearinghouse um, to, to allow them to talk, to allow them to exchange best campaign practice, fundraising capabilities, all of that sort of thing. So we're, we're, we're hoping to launch that officially next month. Well, you must be very excited about all of the, uh, the, the ignorant but earnest trolling that you're going to receive from people about uniting the right in Europe and uh, all of the, the craziness and the nationalism and everything else. But I'm assuming none of the critics will, uh, will sway you from your mission of actually spreading true conservative ideology throughout Europe. And they don't get it. You know, the critics, the critics are so hysterical about this. The Open Society Foundation, you know, Soros's Soros. group. He's he's he, they've gone into meltdown over this and the op-eds. Oh, they already the, have. Okay. Oh yeah, because we <laughs> figured we floated the um, the idea through uh, an article in the Daily Beast last month of all places. But we like to we like to troll the opposition media, 
And um, so we gave them the story. It comes out. Everybody loses their minds overnight. Everybody's losing their minds overnight. And uh, last night, I was on um, the BBC. And I did the number one radio show in the country, the Radio 4 Today program. And they put the clip up afterwards talking of, of me talking about the movement. I was talking about Tommy and I was talking about the movement, Tommy Robinson. And um, they put a graphic on it that was a golden dawn rally from Greece. This is the neo-Nazi party in Greece. <laughs> this is like putting a swastika over your interview. Oh, no, they actually, I mean, their logo is a swastika. <laughs> okay, yeah, um, there so you it's go. A, it's actually putting a swastika. Yeah. And and if you know me, which, you know, I you do, do uh, you know, I have no truck with anything like that. But this was, this is the BBC, by the way, the largest single broadcaster in the entire world. And I woke up to this this morning because of the time difference. And I looked at this on my on my notifications and I text the producer. I mean, the tweet came down within seconds, but... It was up for four hours. My name and a swastika. I uh, can't believe it. Sounds like the BBC. To, sounds like the BBC to me. Actually, yeah. yeah. Speaking of uh, of the big broadcasters, I think that people have reached a tipping point with CNN after after this week. You mm. know, for full disclosure, I always tell the audience I was there for two years, but mostly doing counterterrorism analysis. Mm. It wasn't until all of a sudden they started pulling me over more to do the political side of the house there. That I found myself showing up. I just call it the CNN ambush. Mm. You know, I would show up and I mean, just the most journalistically unethical, nonsensical. I'd show up and they'd say, oh, you're going to talk about, you know, who's going to win this Republican primary somewhere. And I'd show up and they'd say, what do you think about this, like, tweet from this guy that, you know, is, is saying all this racist stuff? Yeah. I'm like, who are we? This isn't one of the candidates. Who are we even talking about? I mean, they, they it, it turned into a total. I mean, I've called it the clown show network. I mean, it's totally into it turned into a total. Uh, cluster over there, mm-hmm. the Cluster News Network. We could have a lot of fun with this. Uh, but, you know, Raheem, this week people, I think, saw that they really are dishonest in the fundamental conception of what they are, which is a nonpartisan news network. That is untenable now, I think, I, for anyone who's paying attention. By the way, I, I think the idea of a nonpartisan reporter or journalist or news network is a nonsense I anyway. I totally agree. And but, I don't know why people cling to the fantasy. The UK, you guys started journalism for us, right? We kind of took it from you. You have papers that are honest about but pamphleteers. That's where it yeah. all started, right? People pamphleteering out on the streets. You go to the museum, right? Here on, on, on Capitol Hill, and you'll see the very first newspapers, in inverted commas, were partisan pamphlets. Of course. In this country, for sure, yeah. And, 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 and in ours as well. And the only difference is ours hasn't changed. We don't, you know, people don't mask their um their, People their don't talk about this enough. No, nobody, nobody would think it's a slander to say, no. you know, The Guardian is what? A labor, yeah, uh, a labor a publication, paper, yeah, a left-wing absolutely. publication. People would say yeah. that's, yeah. And that's the, the way it is. BBC calls itself liberal and Sky calls itself center-right. Why does CNN have such a problem with owning what it clearly is? You know, I was I was on the phone. I was on the lovely Acela train down from New York the other day, and uh, I was on the phone to a, a CNN journalist, and she was asking me about the case of Tommy Robinson. And I was telling her about the case of Tommy Robinson. And I said to her, make sure when you report this story, we're all on the record, I said, make sure when you report this story, you make it very clear that Tommy Robinson is not just appealing his sentence, he's also appealing the conviction, the contempt of court charge that he was given on the 25th of May. Sure enough, when the article comes out, Tommy is appealing the sentence, not the conviction. It's literal fake news. I told them, I mean, I was the spokesman for his campaign. And here you have a spokesman telling you exactly what we were doing legally. And she just lies about it in her copy. And, of course, then yesterday there was the appeal and we won it because we were appealing the, the conviction. I, I, I've also been one who's trying to... I didn't point, get an apology, by the way. Oh, uh, Of course not. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. Um, I, I'm somebody who tries to point out that when you have 
And and I saw that like Donald Trump Jr. started retweeting this out and people made this is caught on more. But when you have massive failures of accuracy mm. that all are in the same direction, meaning ne- meaning anti-Trump, mm. that in itself is its own form of fake news, right? Because it shows the editorial decision making and the biases behind the scenes are are giving you this result, right? After a while, it's, you know, the, the guy's not coming home drunk once in a while. He's coming home drunk too many times for this to just be a mistake or yes. just to be, you know, the, the one issue where it went too far, the one time it went too far. And that's what I think they don't understand. They never go. They never have a story they have to retract or substantially correct, whether it's CNN, The Washington Post or any places that is pro-Trump in the least. It's always like a slam on Trump. Oh, we got to pull this back. Why is that? Uh, you know, oh, oh, honey, I slipped and fell and my lips landed on hers is plausible once. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if you catch if you catch your husband doing that six times in a row, you're going to start disbelieving it. Um the, the the problem I have with the with the Acosta stuff that we've seen over the last few days is this this um, he's so shocked he looks so shocked that that he's getting abuse you know these are people who have been abusing the American people now for decades calling them all sorts of names calling their president that they elected all sorts of names hurling abuse at the press secretary mocking her deriding her dress sense going to these uh, parties where they all roast. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders on the stage and, and with, with all the Hollywood liberals who are too busy with their hands up other girls' skirts to really notice what's going on in the world. And they expect us to believe their um, righteous indignation about these things. Well, I think the calls for civility also, not not only is it just rich coming from them, given the whole history you talked about, which I've I, I've been saying, you know, back covering Occupy Wall Street mm. in 2011 in New York City, mm. if you had a Fox, if you had a Fox News microphone, you were a target. Oh yes, and people would get up in your face and scream at you, and that wasn't true of any other journalist. Mm. But that's been the reality there. And I would think that when you're either a Breitbart or a Fox, I was Blaze at the time. You know, y- you don't have the whole press corps to catch your back. You know, you don't have this notion of solidarity among your fellow journalists. In fact. They generally turn a blind eye to that, and I think I think they kind of secretly cheer it on. To be honest with you, I think that they have true contempt for people who are one honest about what they do and what they think, which is what I would say conservative media is. That much of the liberal media, not all of it, I'm I'm more okay with Maddow than I am with with Tapper and Cooper and the rest of them because they're just laundering liberalism under a false premise mm-hmm. of objectivity. Uh, but conservatives, at least, are honest about what they're doing, and they don't. They don't have any sense of support from fellow journalists about this. So I just think that it's the whole thing strikes me as a bunch of they're a bunch of crybabies, dude. They're also just the worst. They're the worst. I um, you reminded me of a story about when you said, you know, you had a Fox News microphone and you or I saw people with Fox. Yeah. And I I was with the blaze and they would say, oh, my God, you're with the blaze. They'd freak out at me. Yeah, of course. So I was reminded when I first went to cover one of these um, anti-ISIS protests in London, it was all uh, PKK guys. Right. The, the, The Kurds. And I they all fly the communist flags. And I went up to one of them and I said, why are you flying these communist flags? And before I knew it, I was surrounded by about 150 people in a circle at Marble Arch in London. And they were all pointing and chanting at me, you are ISIS. And I was like, I think you got the wrong guy. <laughs> you know? But this, is, this has happened for a very long time. Now CNN's experiencing it for the first time. They're experiencing what it is like to be on the, on the opposite side, what, it's, what, what hostility from the public can be like, uh, the same hostility that they've been fostering towards Fox News. I mean, look, look take, take, take this chap, Oliver Darcy. 
Right, CNN. He used to work at the Blaze. Right. I know him well. You know him well. He has he has turned on his former friends oh, in a yeah. way that is sad. But it is sad to see. media reporter. Okay, he spends all day long actually trying to whip up a frenzy about Fox or about Breitbart. His job is not reporting. His he is a paid agitator. He's trying to get the other side to it's, it's in-house media matters. It's yeah. just having in-house it's, media it's matters. Exactly right. So why are these people surprised? Do yeah. you think? Do you think Acosta really is surprised? No, I don't. I, I think that it's all an act with him. Yeah, I think that he's actually. Kind of I think that he's kind of a. Uh, he's a. He's not a skilled journalist. I think he's a pretty skilled actor, though. Mm. I think he's very good at really, you know, mugging for the camera and, you know, you know, I'm just here and I'm just, I'm just trying to do the best job mm. and trying to speak truth to power and, you know, <laughs> Sarah, why are you being so mean to me in this whole thing? I mean, it really comes right out of, you know, an acting one-on-one class. Um, but you know, if I, I really do, I know this. I mean, with CNN, you have some of the the biggest, the biggest names there. People always say, Buck, what about this person? I know a lot of the lesser-known people at CNN. They're reporting stuff. Some of them are a little more centrist. Some of them are hardcore lefties. But they're not really the the public-facing part of that organization in any meaningful sense. right? They get reported. It goes on the website. Other people are making the primary editorial decisions, and other people are presenting the information. And the ones who are presenting it in front of their audience, such as it is at CNN, you know, what is it? It's less than a million on average a day now, which is pretty low given where they used to be. Uh, they're just dishonest, man. And I think people have had enough of it. Like, I know I, I left CNN of my own volition, and that was something that made its way all the way up to the very top of that organization, just because some conservative that they had offered to keep, which they thought meant that I should be very grateful, left. And I was a marked man for them after that. Have because, you ever written about this? Um, no, I've only talked about it on radio, but I actually probably should write about it. I would this. love the book, you know, My Time Inside CNN. Well, I mean, the other thing is I also became very friendly with some of the producers on various shows. Well, hold on. How friendly? Is it going to be a problem? <laughs> Raheem, it's a family show. <laughs> I remember maybe, you know, one or two dates. You don't have to answer well, that question. I mean, I'll be like, whatever. You know, maybe, I, I don't know. For, for a drink, for a drink. I mean, not He's a blushing. date like He's a... He's blushing, ladies and gentlemen. So, so regardless of all that stuff, uh, no, but I, I got to know what's going on in the place pretty well. And, and what you really see is... Um, you know, there are some things that I think if people knew about, they would feel very different about the organization. You know the you know the movie The Departed. You yes, know the Departed, oh, yes. right? You know how uh, uh, Jack Nicholson's I think it's his henchman actually. He's kind of number one right hand man. Says there are guys you can't touch, or is it Jack Nicholson? He says that um, in the bar when Leonardo DiCaprio fights a guy. He's yeah. like, there are some guys you can't touch. Yeah. That's a guy you can't touch, yeah. right? That exists at CNN, yeah. meaning they'll put you on air with somebody, yeah. and if you make them look foolish merely through argument, not through being too aggressive or anything else, this this happened to me. You will get called into an executive office, oh. and they'll be, and they'll say, you know, that's really not how we do things oh. here, and we expect more from you. And their favorite game to play is the we have big plans for your career here, and we really wouldn't want to see any. Which, by the way, is a complete. They churn through conservatives oh, yeah. there like. Six-week-old meat. They could care less. Now, is one of these people you can't touch, uh, young master, uh, is it Vanderbilt? Anderson what do you mean, Anderson? Yeah. I actually, they never they never let me near Anderson or Jake Tapper at mm. CNN. Those mm. are the only two hosts whose crews would ne- would just flatly refuse to have. Every other show I, I end up doing there. Oh, no, I, I mean some of the, I do a whole segment on radio called Gurgling with Gurgan, mm. where, because they have David Gurgan, he goes mm. on, he talks about Ford, Nixon, Reagan, it's, this guy just mutters yeah. garbage yeah. all the time. Yeah. But if, if you come on and you so much as step on, even accidentally, you know, when you're in a remote, you step on one word that Gurgan is saying, you will hear from producers afterwards, wow. like, you know, David Gurgan is a national treasure, like, you need to step up. And now... 
for you, if you just went there, you could tell them to, you know, yeah. blank off, right? Yeah. You don't care. But when you're on contract, you're getting yeah. paid. There's automatically this, you know, the tentacles are into you a little bit and you're like, uh, okay, I, I guess I have to behave differently. And wow. after a while you realize you're being gaslighted. It's garbage. And uh, the expression I use for conservatives are there is a clay pigeon. You are there to get obliterated. And if you won't play the game, they don't, they have no use for you. They, they bailed on Kaylee McEnany, now the RNC spokesperson. They yes. they what, they thought it was useful to have her on air for a while, yes. and then after a while they decided it wasn't. There was the other chap as well. Forgive me for... I have a terrible name recognition here, because every everyone's name in this town sounds the same. You know, Senator Whiff Pullman and Buck Sexton. Yeah, and yeah. All, yeah, yeah. I know. You all have those like those sort of very grandiose, waspy names, right? And um, This is a Trump guy? Uh, it, was, a yeah, it was a recent, recent one, and he was... Anyway, look, they, they, your point is what I'm trying to add to is that the churn is quite unbelievable. Actually, you don't see this anywhere else. There's got to be something very seriously wrong inside there. And I would encourage your Twitter followers to tweet at you if they want to see you write the book about the inside that's, CNN. That, that's, a, that's, that's a fair... By the way, I signed no non-disclosure agreement. I could say whatever, I, I, could say whatever I want way, about it's CNN. it's in the public interest anyway. So, you know, know these non-disclosure agreements are rubbish anyway. Yeah, they are Anybody rubbish. ever that gets you to sign a non-disclosure agreement, they're just trying to scare you. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean it's anything. All, it's all intimidation. It's very, very hard to stop people from doing things unless you're really spilling trade secrets. But unless right. you work at Apple, I don't think that's, I don't think that's really a concern. Um, I, you know, There's one I, thing I wanted to add just very quickly, because it, it's so easy for us to, to dump on CNN. But actually, what our side's not very good at is, you know, you see all these fancy graphics from Media Matters and, uh, and CNN and all these other places. They, they sort of, you know, the number of times this was mentioned on air or, or on Breitbart or on Fox or whatever it is, we don't do the same back to them, really. I mean, you know, we have Newsbusters and, and the MRC guys and stuff, but we don't actually pump it out like they do all day, every day. You know, we don't have, like CNN has a Fox correspondent, effectively, oh, yeah. Oliver Darcy, right? Fox doesn't have a CNN watcher full time. They they actively push propaganda to undermine their yes. competitors on a daily basis. It is yes. a part of their daily routine. It's yes. not news cycle based. It is an offensive maneuver in an ongoing propaganda war. And now in the era of Trump, when the tables have turned, they're 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 crying foul because they're not winning this fight the way they used to. They're not I've winning it. Thought we needed a war room, right? We need a war room like for that. And if there are any deep pocketed individuals out there, uh, my telephone number is. No, I'm kidding. Um, but but it's it. I think it's uh, it's a. Do you agree that that's a problem? A competency lacking on our side in that area? Well, I just you know I, I've had some some talks recently with uh, with some folks on the Hill mm. who are just for, not. I'm at thehill.com. I mean the actual Hill where people work in Congress and all that stuff. And, and we, we all agreed, we were out drinking one night recently, we all agreed that one of the best things, because this is one of the theories I talk about on radio, uh, so obviously I think this is true, but they all were nodding their heads. The best things the left has going for it is that there is a sense of an institutionalized or institutional sense of we take care of our warriors. Yes. And so when you get, I mean, how many people listening to this know that the guy who runs CNN politics, for example, was fired from Yahoo mm. for while covering a presidential campaign saying over an open mic that Mitt Romney was happy to throw a party while black people drown. He didn't wow. he didn't get pushed out of the business entirely. Right. He got hired to a great job that probably paid him even more yeah. after a little bit of a punishment timeout period, yeah. right? So when you when you look at some of these folks, when you look at the way that they play the game, they have all these places. And if you get whether it's for plagiarism or some kind of uh, now less so, but it had been the case for even like sexual misdeeds in your past the left will always make sure that you have a place to go, you have a place to run. Yeah, and it's because, falling up. 
They fall up. That's what I, and, yeah. and and you actually can if you take one for the team, yeah. they will make sure that you are good to go. Whereas on the right, we can't, we abandon people on the field of battle all the time. You know, this Fareed Zakaria stuff, the plagiarism stuff from a couple of years ago, right? Well, he didn't plagiarize the staff that writes his articles for him. Well, right? sure, but who no, is, who no, is but culpable, who is culpable for his, it in the end? Yeah, right? I mean, he's it's, putting his name on it, though. Yes. I mean, this is preposterous. Yes. This would be like, I didn't I didn't plagiarize. The guy I paid to hand in my homework for me did. That's yes. basically what, what the defense was, Yeah, exactly which is pretty right. amazing it's when you exactly think about right. it. But. And we, we lose people hand over fist every day because we do the right thing and say, you know, whatever, naughty boy, you're never doing that again. You're never going anywhere again. And we stick to our word. And you know what's amazing to me, though, when, when you look at the photo, and I, CNN just because this week and everything is, I probably should watch more MSNBC, although I can tell you that the primary uh, vibe that I'm picking up off of MSNBC these days is that they've be- that's become this haven for former conservatives who have mm. become uh, really ideological turncoats uh, at this point. People like, uh, gosh, what's her name um, from the Bush administration? I think she's got a show now. Mm. Anyway, all these, I can't remember them now, all these former Bushies. Uh, especially some of the more, let's say, problematic foreign policy folks, mm. they run over to MSNBC, and their job now is to trash Trump constantly. And I just wonder what they think the end game is there. MSNBC is going to be done with them at some point, mm. and this is not career building, but M- people are doing it anyway. MSNBC has sort of gone gone back. Nicole and forth, Wallace, by the way, is who was trying to think of. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you said. But MSNBC has sort of gone back and forth, hasn't it? Because it didn't it start quite neoconservative. It was the only network, fun fact, because, you know, Ann Coulter is one of the only other Freedom Hut guests we've had on. It was the only network that ever paid Ann Coulter to be on TV. In wow. the earliest, this was like 99 yeah, or so, yeah, way, yeah. way, way back yeah. when. Uh, but MSNBC has experimented with the both sides of the yeah. story format here and there. Tucker yeah. had a show there. Yeah. Remember Scarborough Country? Before yes. he decided that he was scorned by Trump, he was supposedly a conservative, although not not really. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe depends. I could get a show there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Dude, you know, you, you, it... You never know these days. I mean, I think that I think that MSNBC is a more uh, interesting place well, than, than hide, CNN. It is. doesn't hide what it's doing. That's yeah. the thing. When it's going right, it will tell you it's going right. When it's going way, way, way left, as it does every night, it tells you it's going there. Now, how do you feel about Trump, by the way, right now? I mean, I, I'm. I always tell people on radio that I've, with each passing month, I am like further and further in the trench for Trump. Like, I just feel like this is, this was, he's exceeding my wildest expectations. Now, granted, I came in as a, as a supporter, but a, a, a cautious supporter. Who were I mean, you during the primaries? I mean, I was kind of, st- I'm embarrassed to say this now. I was stuck between Rubio and Cruz. Cruz, I can intellectually still at least justify in my head. Yes. Rubio was a lack of judgment on my part. Yeah. I, I think Rubio was, I think that I got caught up in, the the appearance of greater substance than was really there. That would be my after action assessment. So you know, I've been a I've been a, a, a Nigel Farage acolyte now for for some years, and um, for me, it's always about authenticity. It's always I like I like sort of boorish characters because it means they are people, right? They're not they're not robots who have been trained into this sort of political mindset. And uh, you know, Nigel and I would break every day at, at noon for what we called a PFL. Uh, a proper effing lunch uh, or a proper Farage lunch is the way to... <laughs> I like this. And no, and we'd go till about four o'clock in the afternoon and then we'd get back to work for a couple of hours and then we'd hit the pub at about 6.30. And the, that was a real character-driven politics, right? And so the first time I ever saw Donald Trump in the flesh was at Freedom Fest um, before he was even, you know, announcing anything. Uh, and I said, that's the guy. 
I just I, I felt it in my in my veins and I actually have proof because I published an article the next day on Breitbart saying so and everybody thought I was nuts and then I bought a MAGA hat when they started pumping the MAGA hats out and I wore one to the UK Independence Party's conference in in Doncaster in the United Kingdom around a little old dog track we used to have our conferences and Nigel of all people came up to me and he said listen mate would you um would you take that hat off you're making us all look silly and of course, now Nigel is one of the biggest Trump guys out there. He's got a MAGA tattoo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, he's got Trump tat- face, face tattooed That's on his back. Like, like uh, what's his name with the Nixon tattoo? We had him on Roger the, Stone. Roger Stone. Yes. We had him on the show recently. He's yes. an interesting cat. Yeah. But you know, I was I was Trump before Trump, effectively in that in that regard. So when you ask me how I feel about him now, look, I think there are deficiencies. I think a lot of people out there want that wall built. Want that wall I'm with you on this, on. and I feel like not enough people are saying it right now, even big Trump supporters well, in the media. he's delivering so much on the trade stuff, he's delivering so much on the national security stuff, and he's delivering so much on the jobs and the economy front. And I did say before um, his inauguration, I said, look, as long as he gets uh, uh, jobs numbers up and the economy's growing, most people will go, yeah, we'll re-elect him. And I think that's what he's banking on. Yeah, this week we've got this this poll saying that Trump's approval, this is from mm. Rasmussen, which people yeah. always say is a little favorable to the right. But nonetheless, it's a real poll. 50%, they're saying. Oh, yeah. Supporting, uh, uh, approve of President Trump's job performance. That's... That's pretty and, darn and good. How many, and how many people in France approve of Emmanuel Macron right now? I have no idea. 28%. <laughs> there how, you go. How many people in Germany approve of Angela Merkel right now? 40%. How many people in the United Kingdom approve of Theresa May right now? Less than 40%. It fluctuates between about 38 and 40%. Donald Trump is the most favorable politician in any major Western nation right now. You don't see that on the CNN, Chiron. No, you don't. That's actually a great headline. Where's that piece, Raheem? That I, should be, I, you I know. I actually published that in Fox last week. Oh, good. Good job. I think, okay. I think I, <laughs> well I, done. I think He's... I sent you a link. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> my, I need to start opening my email. Um, no, I, I think, though, that uh, this, all, this also brings up in me. I mean, I want to know how this, because you brought up these other leaders, mm. does, does Trump here... Is it affecting? Because all we see in the media is these people that are like, "Oh, I hate Trump." Like he's the way you know they always find people in these different countries that are just going to trash Trump, and that's not. It's CNN or the BBC is picking these people. It doesn't tell me anything. How, how has Trump affected politics over there? I just think that's in a, Europe. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at what's happened since Trump, right? Uh, in the Czech Republic, in Austria, in Italy, um, he is he is without even doing anything over there necessarily. He is uh, encouraging all of these sort of little Trumps to come up in these countries, and they're winning major both local, regional, and national elections. And they're running on the same issues. They're running on controlled immigration. Uh, they're running on uh, national security issues, and they're running on uh, sovereignty-related uh, issues, and 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 the deep state stuff. And some of the deep state stuff in Europe is is real deep state stuff. It's not like here where it's sort of in your face state. Actually, it's it's real under the radar. You know, the ten thousand NGOs that base themselves in Brussels. Uh, writing the legislation in, that goes before the European Parliament and all of that sort of thing. So he's actually encouraged real, authentic characters from the worlds of business, not career politicians, to come out and say, enough is enough, and they're actually getting elected all over Europe at the moment. How, is it, how has it happened that for so many people who are so, at least on paper, erudite, traveled, and I'm not just thinking of media people, you're, you know, people who work at these these more fancy international NGOs mm. and, and multinational corporations. Mm. But this notion that sovereignty is inherently racist mm. is, I think, an interesting... I, I think that is an underpinning... Uh, well, certainly a lot of U.S. immigration debate is based around, well, if we have a secure border, it's just because you don't want 
non-white people coming in. That's that's you'll hear that from leftists. But I get the sense that that's also something you hear in in Europe, right? That the the, the, the reestablishment of sovereignty yeah. is some kind of a, a code word for keep out the other. Well, it's a it's a it's a it's actually a fake reaction. I was having I had a very long phone call with a, a chap from uh, Salon.com yesterday, which is a oh, hard look at left. you, yeah. No, I only really talk to the opposition media. I I think it's fascinating to study them, right? Noske hostem, know thy enemy. Always. I only ever read opposition newspapers. I only really ever do interviews with opposition uh, types. And I was having this conversation with this chap, and he said, what you have to understand about the left is that they have a goal, and he said he's, he's on the left, they have a goal of centralization of power. Everything else is up for debate, discussion, because it's only a means to that end of centralization of power. Ten years ago, Bernie Sanders was all in favor of a strong, sovereign nation state. He was on the record as having said so multiple times. That was what he saw as an ends to centralized control because they like command economies, right? They like they effectively are socialists. Um, now they've realized that the way to fight back against the right is 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 to dilute, um, you know, demographically to dilute morally uh, and and to filter everything through sort of the Hollywood liberal bubble because that's what most people consume most of the time. They're not actually watching news most of the time. Unfortunately, most Americans are not listening to this most of the time. Um, and so it's just a means for them. The, 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 it's a fraud. The, the outrage is a fraud. Uh, they're only doing it for the one end goal, which is centralization of power, centralization of control. Oh, oh, I like that theory, actually, by the way. I think I'm it holds up. Yeah, I think it does, too. Yeah. Um, I think that, that I, I always say that with with Democrats, the things that I and, and the left in this country in general, the, the things that I admire. Well, one of them, which I think is more of a tactical than a strategic issue, um, is that they take care of their own, mm-hmm. which has a whole the, the left has a leave no man behind on the ideological battlefield mentality. And conservatives, it's like, oh, that guy hasn't gotten a job in five years because he. Like said that one thing that Media Matters said was racist. Yes, sucks for him. I mean that's that's very much a mentality. But the other thing though is is there, and I, this again uh, for radio listeners they know I uh, this is a, a a drumbeat that I I hit on a regular basis. They will be in lockstep in the pursuit of the levers of power. Mm. That they, I mean, this, so this is a, a variation on the point you made, which is just that when when it comes down to it, you don't see fractures in the despite the fact that it's a it's a a political party in this, you know, bring it back to America for a second, because America is where we are, of course, of course, of course America. Uh, but but the Democratic Party is really a, a coalition of disparate interests with no yes. binding with no binding philosophical principle other than power. And so when power is at stake, you see this because all of a sudden you have you know, the, uh, you know, the 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 Black Lives Matter protester standing side by side on Voting and on issues with, you know, the, the sort of Brahmins of, of Silicon Valley and with the guys that are, uh, you know, billionaires that are running all these environmentalist wacko ads and stuff. I mean, there's nothing there's no real connective tissue with this other than the state, really, which is another version of saying the centralization of power. But yes. that the big S state is the goal and then they'll figure it out. And as long as their people have a seat at that table, they'll be happy. The single I know this is trite to say. But the single most important book that any of us can ever read, I think, is Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. Yep. It is the playbook. It's a great book. But, but, but it's a great book. Yeah. I'm so envious that it wasn't written by our side. I'm, I'm actually kind of angry that it wasn't written by our side. I mean, you read the prologue to this. It could be a conservative text. If it were just published as the prologue, it could be a conservative text. 
Um, and, and you know, you, you read that and you read the 12 rules that he lays out in that book, Saul Alinsky, you will start to see it at every level of your lives. You will see it at the cultural level. You will see it at the political level. You will see it at the local government level. Every single thing you can see Alinsky's rules in play. And, and if I know it's trite, but we forget that there are new generations perhaps listening to this podcast right now that we didn't say this two, three years ago because they were 15 or 14 years old and now they're starting to listen. You've got to go and read that and, stuff. And yet somehow it was a minor issue that Hillary Clinton was sending basically uh, ideological love letters to this guy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, no, was, was, a, was a disciple of Alinsky. I, I, I regard myself as a disciple of Alinsky as well. It's good to know It's good to know the tactics. I mean, they do work yeah. and they're brilliant. Yeah. And, and you see it with these different movements. And I, and I keep telling people that whether it's you know, I mentioned Occupy Wall Street before, and that was the first thing that I really sunk my sunk my teeth into mm. in the media world when I left the left the world of the intelligence community, uh, which is not always aptly named. But nonetheless, mm. uh, I left and was doing that. And then with Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, that whole movement, that component uh, w- w- was already inside of Occupy. There was this contingent that was very anti-police, that was the police are racist mm. and the police are murderers. And it wasn't until they had an opportunity to grab onto something the news cycle that that then became the primary but you see that the tactics the organization the way that they present themselves in the media whether it's occupy antifa black lives matter these are all variations on a theme and and the one thing that brings them all together is actually their adherence to alinskyite alinskyite approach bingo and almost always the same people by the way just with a different banner or a different flag that day yeah, I, it's it's been uh it's it's been amazing to see it play out. And by the way, you also see it now with some of the hashtag resistance stuff too. They what? just haven't really found hashtag resistance is a little is a little trite. I think even for the people that believe it, uh, it's not quite as as powerful a an organizing slogan as some of the other stuff they've had. Well, it's but, hard to convince most of the American public, from what I know about this country, and I've I've traveled it a lot. It, it, Americans are very fair-minded. It's hard to convince somebody to resist uh, a, a democratic election. You know, it's hard to convince them to resist. Uh, uh, you know, what what is in their con- what is in their constitution, what is in their blood, effectively, what they were raised with, and that's what hashtag resistance means to most level-headed people out there. Is no, we didn't like the result of that election. It's not. They don't really go after the policies. Remember, they go after the election itself. Oh yeah, the whole thing—the the Rosenstein thing, the Mueller thing—all of this is about the election. It's not, hey, you know, and they'll throw in some things here and there, like there are some kids on the border being separated from their parents, but whatever. Most people can see through that, that that's been happening for ten, fifteen years as well. They're asking us to repeatedly call into question the decision made by honest, ordinary American people, and America, just like Britain, we just don't go in for that. They actually think, and Raheem, this has been kind of terrifying. They actually think. And when I mean they, Washington Post, New York Times, I mean, mm. give me your and and just the Democratic Party and a lot of never Trumpers. But the, the most vicious in a lot of ways are actually never Trumpers in the Republican Party mm. because they feel like their seat at the table in the opposition has been taken away from them, too. Right. They feel like their whole life's work has been undermined by Trump in some way. But but when when you look at them and, and you see the way that they approach these issues, I initially thought this was all cynical. Right. That this was just almost like a ratings ploy. But, you know, people were going along with it as as a form of almost a mass collective trolling. Mm. Now, the further in this we've gotten, these people actually believe that the Russians changed the election, Mm. that the Russians convinced average everyday Americans to vote who who weren't going to vote for Trump anyway Mm. 
to vote for Trump because of some Facebook memes. And I keep coming back to this. This, to me, is actually a, a mass delusion. I mean, this is, this is frightening in, in a grand historical sense of people freaking out and very bad things happening because of it. They think this it. about Brexit as well, by the way. They think, they think the Russians had something to do with Brexit. You know, it, f- they can't point to anything. I mean, the la- at last check, 99 cents was spent from a Russian company on Facebook ads. And they point to that as, as oh, well, that swung the election. I try. Yeah, I, tr- I, I try to explain to them as well, and I, you know, I do. I do a show here with a, a very, a very a nice uh, liberal every morning, and and so I interact with a lot of liberals on the show because she brings on her guests, I bring on my guests. By the way, we're going to have Raheem on on the show soon, uh, and and I I can tell when we're discussing this, say them, you know, this is it reminds me of the game that they play with climate change, um, and and they don't like that because climate change is is a religious belief for them. But I say, you say, do you believe in climate change? Mm. And that's a way of saying. You have to, you're bending the knee, and then everything that I want after that, you have to also agree to. And we all know that that's the way that it's set up, right? Do you, do you believe in climate change means, do you believe in this massive narrative that I will shoehorn into this one yes or no question that's just preposterous, right? But that's the way they set that up. I say, imagine if we did that with voter fraud, an issue that the left is also not really in touch with reality on in the sense that they'll say there's no voter fraud. You'll hear this. I mean, I've heard Chris Hayes, memory serves, say it at MSNBC, and then people say, well... People go to prison for voter fraud. Mm-hmm. So there's, there clearly is voter fraud. It's a question of how much. Okay, fine, but there's not much voter fraud. And I said, well, this would be like saying, was the last election tainted, or was the, was the election of Barack Obama tainted by voter fraud? Mm. The answer is certainly yes. Yeah. There's no way that it was not tainted by voter fraud. Right. But was it five votes or you know 500 votes? You know, who knows? But they play the same game with this Russia with this Russian interference mess now. What did Russia interfere in our election? Yeah, sure. I, I think they did some things, but they've been doing it for decades or whatever. But up, oh, you've conceded you've conceded the interference, therefore you've conceded that this is illegitimate. Yes. And that's the jump that they make. Yes. It's crazy. And and as I said to somebody yesterday, you not that they've done it for decades. We've done it for decades as well. Everybody does it to each other. We're all doing it to everyone. You know, this is, by the way, this is globalism, right? That's globalism is interfering in other people's we, we, elections. We have NGOs in countries that are like, let's monitor elections. The U.S. Let's State lo- Department <laughs> crazy. spent $400,000 of American taxpayer money funding a left-wing news outlet in Hungary ahead of the last Hungarian elections. <laughs> that's to, amazing. Why? To change the narrative yeah. in that country. And by the way, that's a prime minister, Viktor Orban, who is a Trump guy. And it was the Trump State Department that was handing this money over for this liberal newspaper. I, I am somebody who remembers being asked many times in very early on in my career when I didn't know much about really the media and how all this stuff worked to go on a little channel known as RT, mm. and which I'm, I know you're familiar with. Mm. And I knew very early on because of where I'd come from, the intelligence community and everything else. OK, well, RT, this is a Kremlin front. right? Yeah. We, all, we all know this is a Kremlin front. Yeah. And this was a cable channel that's gotten... Hundreds of millions of online views, by the way, over over the over the course of its life cycle, and was really making inroads. I knew pretty look. General Flynn gave a speech, you know, was a paid contributor or gave a paid speech for them. Uh, people were actually showing up and and doing RT. RT was a cable news, Kremlin financed propaganda channel on U.S. airwaves for a decade, and no one said boo. Right. And now I'm supposed to think that oh the Facebook ads you know this is this is crazy yeah, I mean it, it's it just strikes me as it's so disingenuous and we're seeing this now with uh, with them saying oh this this election there might be problems with this I said what what are you going to do well what people keep saying we need to know this is by the way, this is one of the big lies Raheem 
I asked the director of national intelligence, former director of national intelligence, Clapper, this mm. question, and he couldn't because he knew that also I would know if he was lying, right? Because he knows my background, I know his background, and I also know these guys are not as smart as people think they are. They tend to be the bureaucrats that outlasted the rest. Yeah. That's just the truth. They're not super geniuses in the right. intel world. The super geniuses leave and go work in, you know, <laughs> go work in the private sector yeah. usually, just to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but this guy, I said to him, I said, well, what can we do if this is all about finding the extent of this? What could we do to stop the next one? And you know what he said? There's not much, yeah. but you know, we'd like to see a strong statement from the president. This <laughs> right, is straight right, right. up. They just, they're, they're, this is make-believe. Yeah. It's a make-believe issue that we can stop meddling if meddling is just people writing things you don't like on Facebook. This is crazy. And uh, why don't we just put together a statement of principles and have all these world leaders sign it and say, we're not going to interfere in each other's elections. Yeah, great. Okay. It's it's not realistic, right? This is the you know the the left likes to talk and the establishment likes to talk about the interconnected world, right? This is part of the interconnected world, and 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 we have to you know, as much as we give it, we're going to receive it. It's the same with cyber warfare, right? As much as we give it, we're going to receive it, and the only thing you can do is just make sure your channels are as as, as secure and locked down as as humanly possible. You're never going to just like with voter fraud, even if there were voter ID, you're never going to get rid of one hundred percent of voter fraud. It just it's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. And I know we've gone a very long time, but I did have a question for you. Yes, sir. What do you make of this Q stuff? Oh, QAnon? Yes. I just learned about this this week. Yeah. I've been running around thinking that Kanan was like some <laughs> rapper. We, 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 I, I said it was, this must be like the greatest, uh, you know, the, the greatest World Cup player I've never heard of or something. I had absolutely no idea what this was. It just strikes me as, as, as totally crazy. Although I will say that they're showing up all of a sudden at some rallies. It smells funky to me. It I'm just, smell it funky. smells funky to me. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, people are, oh, Buck, you're so conspiratorial. Uh, this this thing is happening where people are showing up, and I've never heard of this before in my life, and they're all of a sudden getting nice, very very clear photos taken of them at Trump rallies with these right. signs. They just had these perfectly made signs, perfectly positioned for the cameras, perfectly right in front of President Trump, you know? And, and out of nowhere, I remember being asked about Q about three months ago. This was before Q was QAnon. It was just Q. They, and people Wait, what would, is Q? Well, that's the question. You know, what is the matrix? <laughs> what, what? <laughs> but but they would leave these comments on my on my Facebook live streams. Just you, yeah. you know, Raheem, what do you think about Q? And some people would say, Raheem, are you Q? And all this sort of thing. And I was just like, I, I don't know what Q is. And I went away and I looked it up. And I was like, oh, it's some like fringe internety thing. And now to have these people holding up Q signs in the audience at rallies and. It wasn't it funny how quickly CNN and all these guys managed to have analysis and everything about the flash QAnon. to bang on this it has been so fast. Quick. It's very quick. Very I've, strange. I, yeah, I think yeah, you'd it's... think that it would have been like a day or two of like investigative work. No, no, no. We know all about this QAnon thing. It's a crazy internet thing. No, you don't. Either you you've been given a dump. You've been given a, an oppo research dump by someone. They knew that they were hiring, you know, uh, uh, actors or you know paid protesters just like they did by the way when trump visited london did you know that no yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, not all of them but a handful of people were hired to be there that day and uh, you know we have these casting agencies and stuff they do it for a lot of protests in fact there was a story um last week they caught them doing it for the uh, emir of qatar's visit as well anyway the same thing happens over here you dump you know 10 people in the crowd with a couple of signs it's like the wwe right you, you, you get handed a sign as you walk in and say, hold this up, would you? And they hold it up, and they don't even know what they're holding up half the time. They just think it's some... This is like the, the, the Iranians, actually. Sometimes if you, if you talk to people who have been at the, the flag-burning protests, yeah. 
they'll do, they'll they'll film it so that it's really up close. You'll see oh, a guy yeah. burning a flag. Yeah. There's four guys who yeah. are actually burning the flag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that so, that's a so thing this, that happens. This, this Quanon thing. Yeah, no, I'm 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 suspicious. Well, Rahim, you've given us so much of your time that I, can I just just lightning lightning round a few quick things before oh, we let you go. Uh, how much of an advantage is it with the ladies to have Raheem's British accent in DC? Do you know it's actually a, a massive burden? I, oh I, come on! No, I can't walk down the street on the phone without being flocked to. It's, <laughs> there you go. It's problematic. I have to carry a stick with me nowadays. I'm going to tell you all something. There's there's some very very nice young women who work in the office here. I bring Raheem in to do a podcast, <laughs> and it's like I've shown up with one of the Beatles, circa 1960. Like this is really. They're like Raheem. I'm like, wait a second. Everyone knows Raheem. The answer is yes. By the way, so good times all around. The uh, the proper drink for a man to order. During a uh, a business meeting is what uh, a glass of wine. Glass of wine. Yeah, a glass. Of, I, I I like an East Bank Bordeaux. And the single best uh, whiskey or scotch for your money is. I'm actually a um, a Blue Label fan. Okay, which is of course a blend, but it's I I, I love it. I, and a lot of people. I think, respect you didn't go with the single. I feel like people would start throwing out some single malt talk just yeah. to just to be fancy for the kids. I am one of those people. You know, I likes what I likes. Right, my favorite drink on the planet is a Whitstable Bay. It's a Kentish ale. It's inexpensive. It's uh, not pretentious in the slightest. There are some moments, like in a business meeting, where I want a nice fancy glass of wine and I'll swirl it around and go mm mm mm. But there are some points in time, like with the blue labels, and actually my favorite everyday whiskey is a black label. Um, a blue label is quite expensive. But, but give me a pint of Whitstable Bay any day of the week. American conservative author who had the biggest impact on you in your formative years. American conservative yes, author? Yes, American conservative. I, I, I guess it, I mean, not an author per se, but I guess an author, Barry Goldwater's uh, Conscience of a Conservative was perhaps my... The, the, and I've been to Prescott, Arizona, and stood on the steps where he stood in 1963 when he announced his uh, bid for, for president. And, uh, you know, it just sends chills up my spine. I'm a massive, massive Goldwater fan. And finally, Raheem, it's true that you play Fortnite. What is this thing? Because I just learned about this. Fortnite is, is, is life. um it's it's a video game i i I like to i like to you know my downtime which i very rarely get any of but i will jump onto my xbox uh you get dropped on an island with a hundred other live players and you harvest resources and find weapons and you you, the aim is to be the last man standing but it's not serious like call of duty or anything it's quite cartoony and uh it's just it's just mindless sort of i need an escape right now and that's what I do with my uh, uh, glass of black label. That sounds fantastic. Everybody, this has been Raheem Kassam. Raheem, where, where should people go to follow and find your stuff? Uh, where should they follow all things Raheem? Oh, the best place is on my Twitter account, and it's at Raheem Kassam. It's R-A-H-E-E-M-K-A-S-S-A-M. And uh, we'll have you uh, come to the panel here on Hill TV sometime. I'll right? be sure can, to wear clothes. You can, keep those, you can own the libs, but with a, with a charming accent. Thank you. It <laughs> always strong. works better. I get away yeah. with so much more. Yeah, fantastic. Raheem, thanks so much. Everybody, please download and share. We will see you again next week. And remember, it's all in the reflexes.